The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. This is Jacob Yasser Schneider, editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, welcoming you to the American Thoracic Society's podcast. I would like to introduce our editorial board member, Dr. Nathan Sim of the Section of Pulmonary Critical Care Medicine at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Washington, D.C. He is an assistant professor of medicine at George Washington University and conducts translational research on biomarkers of inflammation and coagulation in ARDS and sepsis. Welcome, Dr. Sim. Thanks, Yasha. In today's podcast, Dr. Michael Mathe and Dr. Dijali Anand join me to discuss two studies that relate to a controversial topic, treatment with corticosteroids for acute severe inflammation in critically ill patients. These two observational studies, published in the May 1st, 2011 American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, reported worse outcomes with corticosteroid treatment in patients with severe H1N1 infection. The first article, titled, Early Corticosteroids in Severe Influenza A, H1N1 Pneumonia, and ARDS, retrospectively reviewed data from a French registry of patients with H1N1 infection. The second study, titled Corticosteroid Treatment in Critically Ill Patients with Pandemic Influenza A, H1N1, 2009 Infection, retrospectively reviewed data on all patients admitted to 28 Korean ICUs with confirmed H1N1 infection and compared outcomes in patients treated with corticosteroids versus controls. Dr. Mathe and Dr. Anand authored pro-con editorials analyzing these two observational studies. Dr. Mathe is Professor of Medicine and Anesthesia, as well as Senior Associate at the Cardiovascular Research Institute and Associate Director of the Intensive Care Unit at the University of California at San Francisco. His editorial is entitled, Corticosteroids Are Not Indicated for Treatment of Acute Lung Injury from H1N1 Viral Pneumonia. Dr. Anand is Professor of Medicine at the University of Versailles. His opposing editorial is entitled, The Illegitimate Crusade against corticosteroids for severe H1N1 pneumonia. We'll start the podcast with a question for Dr. Mathe. Dr. Mathe, how did these two studies advance our knowledge regarding the utility of corticosteroids in patients with severe viral pneumonia? Well, both studies were designed to evaluate the effect of corticosteroids on the clinical outcomes in patients with H1N1 viral pneumonia that progressed to ARDS. In both cases, these studies were done um, in populations of patients that were very ill. The uh, investigators recognized that the question of whether to use steroids or not is an important clinical question. So I think the studies advanced knowledge by showing that with a high probability steroids had an adverse effect on mortality in patients treated with steroids who had severe viral pneumonia from H1N1 influenza. Dr. Anand, do you agree? I'm afraid not. I think that these two studies are not very much advancing our knowledge regarding the utility of steroids in patients with severe viral pneumonia. And this is largely related to the fact that these were not randomized controlled trials. 
So it's extremely hard to draw any conclusion about the treatment and about the benefit or risk of a treatment outside the context of a clinical trial. Dr. Anand, to follow up, can you please describe some of the specific limitations of these observational studies? Sure. First, if one looks at the French study, it was actually a registry, and that particular registry was not set up to investigate the role of steroids. It was built to describe the natural history of H1N1 infection in French ICUs with a specific focus on the need for mechanical ventilation and ECMO. Then limited information was available for the use of corticosteroids. No reliable information on the indication of the drug, on the timing, on the dose, or on the duration. The registry was retrospective and there were little if no quality audit to ensure the reliability of the data entered by the physicians, and it is not clear how many data were missing and how the authors dealt with these missing data. And the study from South Korea was also retrospective court and shared the same flows than the French study. Dr. Mathay, your thoughts? Yes, well, I agree with Dr. Nan that both studies were limited because they were not prospective randomized trials. They do not really constitute grade A evidence. However, in both cases, the results show a striking statistical data for harm for steroids in this patient population. There are differences in the way the studies were done. The authors tried to adjust for differences with propensity analysis which is reasonable but not complete. And as Dr. Nan said, the dose of steroids and the timing was not standardized. But in both cases, the result was apparently a negative impact on mortality. To be sure that the result is certain, the only way to be absolutely statistically confident would be to do a randomized controlled trial. But since both studies showed this negative effect on mortality, I think that it should make clinicians very cautious about giving steroids to these patients. Dr. Anand, then do you have concerns about the use of the propensity score adjusted analyses that both the Korean and French groups used in an attempt to provide an unbiased estimation of the treatment effect of corticosteroids? Yeah, sure. You know, propensity score analysis has become very popular, in particular in the, the critical care field. However, uh, if the use of propensity score may help reducing biases by adjusting for known and measured confounders, it cannot reduce bias related to unknown or unmeasured confounders, as do randomized trials. In addition, the sample size in both studies was very small, therefore limiting the capability of adjusting for multiple confounders. So I think that propensity score analysis, while nice approach in large cohort study, that may result in biased results when the sample size of the cohort are small. And having hundreds of patients is rather a small cohort. Dr. Maffei, your thoughts about the propensity score adjusted analyses? 
Well, I agree with Dr. Anon that the propensity score analysis has major limitations, and if the total population size is too small, then it is difficult to be sure. Now, in the Korean study, they had 245 patients included in the cohort, and it is true that they were only able to match 130 of these 245 patients for comparable risk factors and other variables. So there were 65 patients in the steroid treated and 65 patients in the steroid untreated. But again, even given those limitations, it looked like these patients had more complications and a higher mortality. So again, I would agree with Dr. Anand, the propensity score analysis has limitations, but we are looking here at two separate studies, one in Korea and one in France, and both gave a signal that mortality was worse. Now, of course, it is possible still, in spite of all the effort to match the patients, that steroids in the end of the day were given to the sicker patients, and therefore that's why the mortality is higher, and that's why a randomized clinical trial is always superior. But I still remain quite concerned that the uh, mortality came out higher in both of these, and uh, I think this creates considerable concern or should create concern among clinicians about using steroids and severe viral pneumonia pending the possibility of a prospective randomized trial. So, Dr. Anan, in your editorial, you mentioned other studies that have been published regarding treatment strategies during the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. If you would, please summarize the current data describing the worldwide experience with corticosteroids for H1N1 pneumonia. Yes, for sure, because here we are entering another uh, issue in evidence-based medicine that is publication biases. In most countries, corticosteroids were used in about 30 to 60% of patients with severe H1N1-related pneumonia. The Antics report one of the largest ICU cohorts of H1N1-infected patients. Unfortunately, they did not record sufficient information on the use of corticosteroids to allow an appropriate evaluation of the effects of this treatment. The Canadian H1N1 experience on corticosteroids will be presented at ATS meeting this year, and as far as I know, there was no association between the use of corticosteroids and outcome. The European Society of Intensive Care Medicine also reported a small cohort, only 220 patients, and did not find increased mortality with the use of corticosteroids. And finally, the Finnish experiments of H1N1 and corticosteroids to be published soon did not find an increased risk of death with corticosteroids but the signal towards increase in survival. So one can see that, again, it may be dangerous to draw conclusions from limited data available. We need to wait, having all the various countries' experience being reported, and then analyzing these all data to see whether or not there is a signal for harmful effect of corticosteroids or maybe beneficial effect. Dr. Maffe, I guess the, the question then going forward is, despite some of the limitations that both of you have described of these observational studies, 
does the suggestion of harm with steroids in, H, in severe H1N1 pneumonia in both these studies effectively argue for a cessation of further use of corticosteroids in this group of patients prior to a randomized clinical trial? I um, agree with Dr. Anand that there are other studies to be published and that have been presented. But please note that no study has shown evidence in any way for benefit. So we have several studies, as Dr. Anand indicated, where there was no apparent harm and no benefit. And then we have these two studies in which there was apparent harm. So in my view, steroids should not be used at this time until there is a randomized clinical trial to demonstrate their benefit for treatment. But I'd be interested to see what Dr. Nan thinks. I agree with Dr. Mate that uh, for sure there is equipoise for the use of corticosteroids in these type of uh, disease, and therefore there is no way for routine recommendation of this drug in H1N1 infection or other viral pneumonia. However, again, I think uh, it's very important to set up and to run an appropriately sized randomized controlled trial to definitely answer this question because corticosteroids is a treatment that is available everywhere in the world and can be used in emerging countries as well as in developed countries. Uh, so in the context of pandemics, that might be very useful if there is evidence that they at least improve mobility. So then, Dr. Anand, I would like to follow up. Uh, you mentioned earlier that these two observational studies did not adjust for timing, dose, and duration of corticosteroid treatment in these patients with severe H1N1 pneumonia. I, would, I think the intensivists listening to this podcast would be interested in your recommendation pending a randomized clinical trial for how you would go about the timing, dose, and duration in such patients. I have to set up or to design a randomized controlled trials of corticosteroids in H1N1 severe pneumonia. I will use either hydrocortisone or methylprednisolone at a dose that would not exceed 200 milligrams per day of hydrocortisone or equivalent. And I guess the treatment should last at least three weeks and probably at least one week at full dose and then taper off over two weeks. And it's as important that this treatment is being tested in the condition where there is a close surveillance of any uh, side effects such as uh, superinfections or metabolic disorders because uh, we know that this treatment will increase the risk of, of these side effects. So uh, in an RCT, there should be a strict control of these two potential problems. Dr. Nana, I would ask you, you know, these two studies both found a higher incidence of hospital-acquired infections. So how would you recommend a surveillance for infection in patients in the context of a clinical trial evaluating corticosteroids? Given that corticosteroids will blunt the febrile response, will make unreliable leukocyte counts or procalcitonin level. The only way to be sure to detect a superinfection is to systematically screen for a superinfection. So the protocol should request for a systematic 
sampling of Boko Arboral Lavash almost two or three times per week during treatment. There should also be a systematically blood cultures every day as well as sampling any site that apparently might be infected, such as cassettes with obvious clinical signs of infections. I, I recently read a paper uh, by Wesley Spink, the renowned infectious disease researcher, and it was written in 1955. What, what struck me was how similar his thoughts were regarding steroids and sepsis back then compared to the ongoing debate that we continue today. He wrote, quote, when one is confronted with a critically ill patient, it may be necessary to administer an agent or agents that can elicit harmful side effects. Adrenocorticotropin and corticosteroids, when given over a brief period of time to critically ill patients with infectious diseases, will often produce dramatic improvement without provoking harmful effects. And I think that's where a lot of clinicians stand today, more than 50 years later, despite several randomized clinical trials that have yielded conflicting results. Since I had the unique opportunity to discuss this complex issue with two experts in critical care clinical trial design, I would like to ask you both the obvious but extremely difficult question. How can we definitively establish what role, if any, corticosteroids play in the management of patients with acute inflammatory disorders such as sepsis and ARDS in the intensive care unit? I'll ask uh, Dr. Maffei to tackle this first. Well, of course, this is a much bigger question than the focus question of our discussion today on viral pneumonia. It broadens the topic very considerably. Dr. Anand has done considerable research on this topic, and our group here in the U.S. and the Arts Network has. Overall, my reading of the literature is that glucocorticoids or corticosteroids do not have a favorable effect in most patients with acute lung injury and or sepsis. I believe that we need to look for newer and more effective therapies, but Dr. Nan may have a different viewpoint. Dr. Nan? Yeah, I think that actually current literature suggests that corticosteroids are associated with favorable effect on many comorbidities associated with critical illness. They may reduce the time on the ventilator, they reduce the time on vasopressorotherapy, may reduce the time being in the ICU. And many physicians and even patients may value this improvement in uh, ICU-related mobility. I agree that there is still some concerns about the survival benefit. Why and the reason why these favorable effects on organ dysfunctions do not translate in substantial survival benefit. And I guess this is likely an area of research for the next five or 10 years to still better understand how corticosteroids are working, how we should manipulate them, how long we should treat the patients, what is the optimal dose, are, in my opinion, issues that are not being answered properly so far. And again, I would like to highlight this very recent, very nice paper published in JAMA earlier this month, reporting the uh, results of a Hippolyte study on corticosteroids in patients with multiple trauma. And very interestingly, the drug was associated, regardless of the way one looks at the data, 
in better improvement in all outcomes, including the primary outcome, which was occurrence of hospital-acquired pneumonia. So in that particular multi-center double-blind placebo-controlled study in critically ill patients, hydrocortisone was associated with a marked reduction in the risk of onset of pneumonia. This is, of course, something that we should be aware of. We should try to understand the underlying mechanism because, in my view, corticosteroid is the future of critical illness treatment, not the past. Dr. Nan mentioned that the Hippolyte study and that the authors of that study conducted a modified intention to treat analysis in patients with corticosteroid insufficiency, which I think read as similar to Dr. Nan's study of hydrocortisone and fluidocortisone for septic shock published in JAMA in 2002 that similarly utilized relative adrenal insufficiency to determine the patients to include in the primary outcome analysis. So I'd ask you, Dr. Nan, should future randomized trials of corticosteroids in critical illnesses use corticosteroid insufficiency to identify patients to include in the analyses? I think this is an important issue. Indeed, there is increasing evidence that critical illness is associated with what is called now critical illness-associated adrenal insufficiency or corticosteroid insufficiency. And this is a condition in which the host endogenous cortisol response is no more able to deal with the intensity of the stress. And only in these patients, one may suggest that exogenous low dose of the natural hormone cortisol or hydrocortisone may be helpful in restoring the homeostasis and thereby improving the health capability of dealing with the stress submitted to so just as, as a follow-up then, would you look at the corticosteroid insufficiency as in a subgroup analysis, or um, how, how would you go about studying that in, in future trials? Yeah, I think today is uh, reasonable to obtain the result of a synactin test within a day or so. So I would suggest that a randomized control trial should start by doing the synactin test and then randomizing only patients who fail to respond to the synactin test. Dr. Maffei, I wanted to mention in, in your editorial, you said, quote, that the two articles in this issue of the journal illustrate the value of studying therapeutic modalities for ARDS in the context of a specific cause of acute lung injury, end quote. It is an approach studying homogeneous groups of patients such as in these two observational studies, the way forward for randomized clinical trials evaluating treatments for ARDS? Right. Well, I think we would all agree, Dr. Nan and myself and other clinical investigators, that it would be better if we could have more homogeneous patients in our clinical trials. It is very challenging, though. I will give you a good example. In the current ARDSNET trial using statins, in a phase three double-blind randomized trial with placebo versus statin for acute lung injury, we specified that the patients need to have some evidence of infection because if statins were going to work, it would seem that that would be uh, the group that might respond more, thus leaving out, for example, trauma-related lung injury or aspiration or blood transfusion without evidence of 
infection. In this case, they only need one of three criteria from the SERS criteria plus a, a probable site of infection. And with 12 university centers in the United States and 40 to 45 hospitals, we are having a lot of trouble enrolling patients in this trial. We have about 130 patients, but the rate of enrollment is much slower because the uh, criteria are more homogeneous. So the problem here is that if you narrow the focus, which seems good, and we would probably agree is a good idea in many of these trials, the problem is that the patients that can be enrolled after various exclusions, for example, you know, they have underlying severe comorbidities, they are a patient who has underlying cancer, they have dementia or other reasons why they can't be in a clinical trial, then the number of patients to enroll is on the lower side. So it is a real problem. Pediatricians in the United States in the world of children's cancer studies manage this problem both in the United States and in Europe by including more medical centers. But this is a major challenge because clinical centers need to obtain enough physical support, enough funding, money to do these studies. And if enrollment is too low, then they can't, they can't maintain their unit. So, yes, in principle, we want to have more homogeneous patient populations, but it is a major challenge. Dr. Anand, your thoughts? I fully agree with uh, Dr. Mate. It's uh, the price to pay of narrowing the uh, heterogeneity of, of the population in a clinical trial is to lose uh, an external validity and to have a slow recruitment rate. Likely in, in the very next future, we may have for specific treatments, specific biomarkers that will help recruiting uh, a more homogeneous group of patients without losing too much external validity. In closing this debate, I would ask for your final thoughts. Dr. Mathe? Well, I think that it's very useful to have this discussion. We all have the same objective to try and improve clinical outcomes, and I think Dr. Nan and I agree with the need for prospective randomized clinical trials and I think that while the studies that are being published on May 1st are not perfect, they will stimulate investigators to have equipoise about the issue of steroids for H1N1 viral pneumonia and hopefully stimulate the possibility of doing a randomized clinical trial, which both Dr. Anand and I would support uh, with enthusiasm. And Dr. Anand? Yeah, I think um, it's an extreme challenge for the whole community of being ready now for the next pandemic and being ready to set up pro proper randomized control trial. That means being prepared with the right question to answer, the right drug to test, right dose, and right population to focus on. We need to get as much as we can experience from the previous H1N1 pandemics to be prepared for the next one in which we need to have randomized controlled trials addressing important issues, in particular in patients with influenza-related pneumonia who are very likely to develop areas and being admitted to our intensive care unit. So I'm looking forward to having this multidisciplinary international randomized controlled trial being 
set up in advance to be ready to be run for the next pandemic. Though both the French and Korean groups used propensity scored adjusted analyses in attempt to provide unbiased estimation of treatment effects, their findings of worse outcome with corticosteroids in severe H1N1 pneumonia are of unclear significance due to the inherent limitations of retrospective observational studies. Because of the acute nature of the H1N1 pandemic, investigators lack the time to implement randomized controlled trials to evaluate treatments for severe H1N1 pneumonia. Dr. Anand suggests that future investigators establish the framework and design of a clinical trial ahead of time in anticipation of the next pandemic. Data obtained in a prospective manner will hopefully establish which therapies improve clinical outcomes in these patients. The two studies we discussed, as well as the accompanying editorials regarding corticosteroids for severe H1N1 pneumonia, are in the May 1st, 2011 issue of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. I want to thank Dr. Anand and Dr. Maffei for participating in this podcast. I'm Nitin Seem for the American Thoracic Society.